Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. All right, we'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Isn't it good to have Pastor David with us and the whole family? Uh, Tara and the girls. And um, yeah, Pastor David, thank you for coming up and sharing that awesome word this morning out of worship. Did y'all receive that? That was a good word, wasn't it? And so last week, Pastor David preached. He got a little ahead of me, but he did ask for permission. Uh, he preached Acts 12. So I don't know. We'll see if I come back and hit that uh, next Sunday. But today we're, we're going back. So he hit Acts 12. We're going to be in Acts 11 today. So turn in your Bibles. Uh, if you have one, as always, the passages are going to be right up here on the screens behind me. And so if you're taking notes today, which I trust that you all are uh, in one way or another, if you, you know, either can write them down or if you want to take screenshots of the screen, that's probably the, the better, easier way to do it. But the title of my message today is simply Grace Anatomy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the best I could come up with after three nights of spiritual renewal, a funeral and a million other things going on. Actually, I think it's a good title, but Grace, everybody say Grace. Grace. Grace Anatomy. And before I unpack what this is all about, let's pray one more time. Father, we ask for your help today. Lord, we need you today in this place. I pray that you would open up hearts, that you would open up minds. Holy Spirit, my words won't do anything but your words. The impressions and the revelations that you give can change our lives forever. And so, Lord, today I'm praying that, that your words would be spoken through me. I'm praying for lives to be changed. I'm asking for hearts to be surrendered fully to you today. And Lord, we thank you for your grace, your grace that saves and your grace that empowers us to be the people you've called us to be. And so, Lord, I pray today for good soil. I pray for my friends here at the 9 a.m. service. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to feel, and a, a resolve to go and to be obedient to your word. And so, Lord, we thank you. Come on, can we lift our hands for just a second? Let's lift our hands to the Lord God right now. We lift our hands. We receive a fresh from you, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Come on, right now in your seats, if you just pray to yourself, say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Come on, he's here, but Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come in, in greater measure, in a greater way, and I pray that you would make us more aware of your presence right now. Come on, if you would just lift your hands right now. Lord, right now we lift our hands. We lift our hearts to you. Lord, I know, I know that there are broken men and women, even young people here today who need a touch from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill us. I pray that you would change us. I pray, Holy Ghost, that you would do what only you can do in us. And so, God, today get a name for yourself here at Midtown. Or get a name for yourself. Or show off today through the preaching of your word. And so, Lord, I pray for the peace of God and the grace of God to be upon us. And it's in Jesus' awesome name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, we are now in Acts chapter 11, which means that if you've been keeping track, we are now uh, in part 17 of this series through the book of Acts. So if you're doing the math, you're like, okay, part 17, but we're in Acts what? <laughs> 11. Uh, how many of you guys have ever been a part of a big book study like this? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you were here for the book of Revelation when I preached to that. You know, the prostitute of Babylon and the beast coming out of the sea. Y'all lived through that. Y'all lived through that. Well, if, if I said if you've made it through the book of Revelation, you can make it through anything. And so here we are today in Acts chapter 11. And just to give you a little recap, a little review of where we've been. Uh, here, here's kind of what this book is all about. If, especially if you're new, this is very important. Luke wrote the book of Acts. There's Matthew, Mark, and and Luke. So the same one that wrote the gospel of Luke, Luke also wrote Acts. And he did for a very important purpose. Luke wrote Acts as a historical account of the growth of the church from Jerusalem to the end of the earth. Simple enough, right? And Jesus says, remember, this was weeks ago. He said that you will receive power when, when who? When what comes upon you? The Holy Spirit. You're going to receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my apostles, my believers. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, where? Samaria, and to the end of the 
to the end of the earth. So what we've been seeing through the book of Acts is that very thing taking place. The Holy Spirit came upon believers in Acts 2. Thousands of Jews get saved. Thousands of Jews get baptized, added to the church. And then we see in Acts chapter 8, remember the, the, the move of God in Samaria? The Samaritans get saved. These half Jew, half Gentile, half Assyrians, they, they get saved and born again, baptized, added to the body. And if you remember in Acts chapter 10, Gentiles, them nasty Gentiles got saved. They got born again. They got filled with the Spirit as Peter was preaching. And then they get added to the church. So if I didn't say anything else, if you're smart, you can see the very, the, the very clear pattern here that God was growing his church then, taking the church from Jerusalem to the end of the earth. And how many of y'all know that's what God's in the business of doing even today? He, through us, wants to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And let me just say this. If we don't go and tell, people will not be saved. Let me say it again. If we don't go and tell, people will perish if we do not preach the gospel. Which means that we have a great responsibility, don't we? It's not about just, I said this weeks ago, not just about coming to church, to the church building, but it's about taking what we learn in church to the world. Are y'all ready to do that? That's why we're here to preach, to teach the word and to make disciples. Well, anyway, that, that's what we've been learning up to this point. The, the church grew all through the book of Acts. And we see it go from Jerusalem and eventually, I don't know, maybe by Easter, we'll get to Acts 28, which is the last chapter of the book. And we'll see that the gospel has gone literally to, at this point in history to the end of the earth. All right. But today we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 11. We're going to skip the first 18 verses because that's just a recap of what happened in chapter 10. But turning your Bibles to Acts 11, we're going to begin. Again, here in verse 19, listen to what Luke says. This is powerful. I'm going to unpack this for you. He says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus. And if you have your Bible, circle the word Antioch. Traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now, if we stop there, that would be a very bad thing. It's a very easy thing for Jews to witness to Jews. But what do we see in the book of Acts? God wants to reach also the Gentiles, Gentiles the rest of the world. Let's keep reading. So here it says, but, 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 I love the but here, verse 20, but, but there were some of them, but, but there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now let me slowly set this up. Let me give you a crystal clear teaching, and I'm going to drop a bomb on your life, bring application to your world, so you can go out and change the world for Jesus. Can I do that? That's what I'm here to do. So here's a little bit of the background. The believers, we are told, they're, they're scattered because of the persecution. And these believers, they, they go north. They go north. You can chart this out in, in, your, in your study Bible. They go north and they preach the word. They teach the word. And these, these Jews preach to Jews and Jews get saved. But what we also see here, let me, let me do this slowly because it's a lot of information. Greek-speaking Jews who got saved. Greek-speaking Jews also preached to Greek-speaking Gentiles. They spoke the same language. Okay, Greek-speaking Jewish Christians preach to, it's a mouthful, Greek-speaking Gentile pagans. And thank God they did. Because it says here that when they preach, these men of Cyprus and Cyrene, when they preach, look at what it says one more time. The hand of the Lord was with them. Listen, when you minister the word of God, God's hand will be on you and with you. If that's in your discipleship group, if that's at Waffle House, Starbucks, Jet Coffee, wherever you go, when you speak the word of God, God's hand will be on your life. Sometimes you don't even know what to say. It's fine because the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. Have you ever been in those moments? You're like, I don't know what to say. I'm going into this meeting. Oh, Lord, help. How many of y'all have ever been there before? And you showed up and you were like scared to death, but you just trusted God through it all. And then like you began to minister to the person and the Lord's hand was upon you and you spoke words. You're like, Whoa, where did that come from? How many of y'all know that didn't come from you? That came from God. How many of y'all know God's still speaking today? 
I'm going to keep on saying it. It's not an issue of whether or not God's speaking. He's speaking. The question is, are we listening? Are we yielding to his word and to his presence? If we are, then we, 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 we will be effective for him. Are you all ready to be that way for him? Effective. All right. So that's what's happening here. So Greek speaking Jews. Witness to Greek-speaking Gentiles, a great number who believe turned to the Lord. This is awesome. This is like a big move of God. Watch. In a pagan city. Now, it's one thing, you know, Jews get saved because, you know, the Jews believe in the same God. You know, that the Jewish Christians do the same God, right? It's, that, that, that's easy. But for, watch, Greek-speaking Gentiles from the city of Antioch to get saved. Y'all, that's a huge deal. You say, why is that, Pastor Scott? Well, let me teach you a few more minutes. As you all remember, the city of Antioch was founded around the year 300 B.C. Y'all remember that? No one remembers that. 300 B.C. Listen, it was, it was one of the, the, the greatest ancient cities of the, uh, of the Mediterranean world, of, of the Roman Empire. There was Rome, there was Alexandria, and then there was Antioch. Antioch was founded 300 years before the time of Christ. Watch this. It had 500,000 people in it. So it was a big city, by ancient standards especially, okay? Big city, cosmopolitan, it was a melting pot, people coming from all over. But watch this, here's the most important point. It was a nasty city. It was like uh, modern day Vegas. You ever been to Vegas? You're afraid to raise your hand in church? (laughs) Okay. You went to Vegas to double your tithe, something like that, to double your money? For spiritual reasons, I'm sure. (laughs) <laughs> How many of y'all know Vegas is nasty? You're like, well, I kind of had fun there. Vegas is nasty. Okay, let me just move on. I can't take y'all anywhere. This is bad. <laughs> Antioch was like Vegas, but way worse. Way, way worse. There was sexual immorality of, of every kind that you can imagine. Don't imagine, but every kind that you can it was there. All right. I mean, just nastiness flowing through the city. It was like an open sewer of prostitution and sexual uh, deviation of, of every kind. I mean, that's what marked much of this large city. Well, l- listen to what one, one guy says here about the city. He says that Antioch was so corrupt that it was impacting Rome more than 1,300 miles away. Okay. You know you're a nasty city when you're impacting Rome for the worst, okay? It was like an open sewer of the most vile, awful sins you can imagine. Are y'all getting the picture? Okay, so when we read through the Bible, okay, well, they preach to people in Antioch. We kind of move on. Okay, honey, give me a refill of my coffee. And like, you don't know what to do with that. But when you understand that Antioch was nasty, then, then you begin to understand, whoa, whoa, whoa. But, but, but when the gospel was preached, when the true God of Israel was preached, when Jesus was preached... There was, there was this move of God, and it says that, that, that people turned to the Lord. When they turned to the Lord, watch this, they gave up their false gods. This city was filled with false deities that they worshiped, that they watched, had been propping up. But this is a miracle here because when they heard the message, they stopped propping up these false gods, and they let them fall, and they turned to the Lord. Now, y'all, that's a miracle. When somebody goes from paganism, from serving the things of this world, the false gods of this world, to following Jesus, saying, I am all in, no turning back, and they begin to follow him with that type of resolve. How many of y'all know that is a modern day miracle? The fact that you're serving Jesus today and you're no longer propping up your false gods is a miracle. It is a miracle of God's grace in your life. And mine. You've heard my story, so I won't repeat it. But, but maybe as you're reading this and I use this language, maybe in your mind, you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 5. Maybe you do. And you remember the story when the ark of the Lord was captured by the Philistines. you remember that? And the ark was taken into the house of Dagon, the false god. Do you remember what happened? The ark of the Lord, representing the presence of the Lord, is brought into the house of Dagon. Well, they set the, the ark there. They leave. The Philistines leave, come back the next day, and Dagon had fallen to the ground. Come on, there's a picture there, y'all. Oh, oh, the Philistines thought that they had conquered the God of Israel. And so they leave God with the false God. Overnight, they, they let it happen. They come back the next day, and Dagon was on the ground. Well, I mean, picture this. This is silly. The next day, 
They, they, they come, they see him down, but so they, what do they do? They prop Dagon back up. I mean, think about how dumb you've got to be. To, like, here's our God. Our God has to be lifted off the ground and pushed back up. I mean, think about this. This is how darkened their minds were. They prop up Dagon once again, and then they come back the next day, and what happened? <laughs> Dagon had fallen to the ground. His head and his hands had been cut off. Only the trunk of Dagon was left. How many of y'all know when God comes to your house, all the false gods in your house must fall to the ground. When the true God of Israel stands up, the false gods of this world fall down. And listen, there's a contrast going on here just for a second. I say it this way. The false gods of this world have to be lifted, but our God lifts. The false gods of this world must be carried but come on, y'all, our God carries. The false gods of this world have to be propped up, but our God is eternally seated on his throne, ruling and reigning in heaven. And when he shows up, all the false gods fall down. Are y'all tracking? That's what's happening, in a sense, in Antioch. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm convinced that any God has to be propped up is not worthy of my praise. Any God, and I'm not just talking about images, Dagon and images. I'm talking about our gods. We have our own American idols, don't we? Mm-hmm. We have our own American idols that, that listen, listen, you say, oh, man, Corona, COVID, quarantine, whew, all these things happening. I can't wait for better days. Listen, I, I hope for better days as well. But listen, God is going to keep moving And he will bring whatever he needs to bring into our lives to get our attention, to bring our idols to the ground so that on that day, the Holy One of Israel is the only one exalted in our lives. And so, Lord, though it hurts, whatever you have to bring, whatever you have to allow, whatever you have to do in my life, the Bible says it this way. Consider it pure joy when you face what? Trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith develops steadfastness and steadfastness must have its full effect so you can become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, what we read that is, um, consider it pure hell when you face trial. We, 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 it's not pure joy for us, is it? It's what, pure what? Oh, I got this trial in my life. Oh, I, we, we hate them, but you got you to gotta learn to consider it pure joy. Not, not, not the trial itself, but watch what the trial is going to produce in your life. Because listen, you can go to heaven, but you can arrive there immature. How many of y'all know God's working through trials in our lives to conform us to the image of Jesus so that when we get there, we look a lot more like him. We'll be made perfect on the final day, but we are being made perfect along the way as we trust in him. Thank God for trials. They make me more like Jesus. Maybe I'm the only one. Praise God. Let me keep going. So watch watch this. How many of y'all know everything changes when God's presence comes into our lives? I am convinced that the greatest revival this world has ever seen is like right here. It's like right in front of us. I believe the great Jimmy will will shout me and shout to me and and others of you revivals. Pastor David, others will get up and shout because you believe and you feel it that the greatest revival this world has ever seen. It's like right at hand. It's right here. I can, I can almost taste it. I can almost feel it. I mean, there are pockets of it already happening in parts of the world. But like we're right there. We're right there for this breakthrough that's going to take place. And watch this. When, when God visits America, listen, politics won't save us. Your money won't save you. Your money won't change you. Your money just empowers you to do what's in you, either for good or bad. Listen, we don't need more money. We don't need more of the world. We need more God. We need more of his presence in in our lives. We need more obedience to his word. And when when God comes to town, things shake and things break. Come on, y'all. He's shaking the heavens. He's shaking the earth. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And only that which is built on Christ will remain. Are y'all with me? You believe that? So, Pastor Scott, you're not even out of the first pages of your notes. What are you trying to say? Don't prop up what God is tearing down. Don't prop up what you know inevitably will fall to the ground. 
idols of this world, sexual immorality, pornography, all the things of this world, whatever they are, categorically, you know what they are in your life. Those things that you trust in and look to over God, let them fall, y'all. Let them fall. God's bringing them to the ground. All right. I say all that to say this. So God moved powerfully in Antioch. Everybody say Antioch. But then the church in Jerusalem, 300 miles away, heard that Greek-speaking Gentiles were turning to the Lord. Now, what do you think they did? Think they got mad? No. Actually, let's read. We'll get out now of uh, Acts 11, 19, and 21. Let's pick it up in verse 22. The report of this, the report of what? Everything I just said. Came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to where? To Antioch. All right? No, okay. We're going to send you 300 miles away to go check out what's happening in this move of God in Antioch. Well, do you remember Barnabas back in Acts chapter 4? His name, take a note, his name means son of, who knows it? Encouragement. Son of encouragement. Like Barnabas, watch this. He was the type of dude that like wherever he went, like he just, like just, like encouragement just came out of him. He didn't even have to try. Just encourage people. Do you know people like that? That that just everywhere they go, no matter what they say, they encourage people. Do you know people like that? Raise your hand if you're that way. It's okay. You won't be prideful. Has anybody ever said you're that way? Raise your hand if if somebody's ever identified you as that type of person. All right, raise your hand because you're going to be my new best friends by the end of the service. I need some encouragement. Okay, Uh, raise your hand. That's just not your thing. (laughs) You're like, it's really hard for me to encourage people. Well, listen, Barnabas, it just flowed out of him. Like, I I mean, I'm I'm convinced like he had Joel Osteen teeth, maybe the same hair. And like everywhere he went, like he just loved on people and just, I'm not even going to try to imitate Joel. It'll be so bad. But the brother's encouraging. I mean, his doctrine, we need to help him with that. But come on, he's encouraging. Okay. <laughs> Big teeth, probably, you know, you know, Barnabas. So he's going around just encouraging people everywhere. Watch, I'm teaching y'all. Watch this. So we're like, okay, let's send the son of encouragement to Antioch. I bet they need some encouragement. Well, yeah. Here's what I want you to see. When Barnabas came to Antioch, he went from being the encourager to being encouraged himself based on what he saw. All right, watch this. Ooh, this is good. Verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was what? (laughs) You see that? He was glad. Not mad or not sad. Now, if I traveled 300 miles, I'd be like, put me up in a hotel, you know, traveling preachers. You know, uh, I want to go to Charlie G's. I want to go to, you know, Prejean's. You know, I want to, you know, feed me, fill me up. I'll minister, you know, later. But I've been traveling. I'm tired. Barnabas, he went to the church and he wasn't mad. He wasn't sad. He wasn't upset because of how far he traveled. No, he got there and I don't know all the details we're not told, but he walks around and he, he, he's glad. Why? What's it say? Because he saw the grace of God. In other words, I mean, think about all the things that Barnabas could have picked on and picked out that were wrong with the church. I'm sure there were things he could have pointed to. Well, that was off. You know, the greeters weren't really on that day. You know, the sound wasn't so good. Today. The worst, ah, that was okay. I mean, I'm being silly, but he, it's like he didn't care about any of those peripheral things that we would think about today, of course, in his day that didn't have electricity. But I'm thinking about the external things that you would look to. He saw the grace of God. And let me say it this way. He was glad. He was encouraged. Whoa. Because see, everything can look really bad on the outside. But if you see the grace of God, if you see evidences of the grace of God in the midst of your mess, you'll have every reason in your marriage to be glad. Baby, we're not there yet. We're still struggling, but baby, I see evidences of God's grace in your life. And if God's grace is here, that means we're going to be okay. We're going to make it. Come on. If not for the grace of God, where were you? Where would you be today? You're in church, 9 a.m. service. Come on, saints of God. You're going to watch the saints later. Right now, you are, you're not sinners. You are saints, blood-bought saints, and you're here because of the grace of God in your lives. Not because you're good, but because 
What is grace? I'm going to give you a definition. Are y'all okay with this? I'm, I'm now on page two, so you should be happy. Y'all good? Yeah. What is grace? Well, there are lots of uh, definitions. You can Google it. You'll, get, you'll see everything. Okay. What I'm about to give you, I did not get from John Bevere. I've been saying this for a decade and a half. It's this. Those of you just heard him. The grace of God is his unmerited favor toward us. And it's his empowering presence within us. Okay, I've been saying that for at least a decade and a half. It is his unmerited favor toward you. And we, we, we get up, I'm a child of the king. I'm, of course you are. But it's not just that. You know, I talk about cane sauce. Y'all like canes? Yeah. You know, the cane sauce. Like even if you're not eating canes, if you have a bad meal, you take cane sauce, you put it on, it's going to make a bad meal good. <laughs> we think grace is like cane sauce. Take something bad and makes it good. Okay. Oh, oh Okay. Grace is not just favor, unmerited favor towards you. It's also, what's just his, it's his empowering presence in you and with you. So let me unpack this. Uh, in Ephesians 2, uh, 8 and 9, Paul says it this way. For by grace, everybody say grace. grace. For by grace you've been saved through what? Grace. Through faith. And this is not, you've got to see this. This is not your own doing. It's the what? It's the gift of God, uh, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Oh, wow. You mean there was nothing that I did that would ever make me right with God? Well, we have to qualify what that means. Here's what happens. You were dead in sin, lost in sin. You weren't pursuing God, but God was pursuing you, wasn't he? And he wooed you and he won you and he, he, he died for you and brought you into this relationship with the father. Come on, y'all. The father thought your salvation. We can say it that way. The son bought your salvation and the spirit brought your salvation to pass. So it's the father, son, and the spirit working together to create this relationship that we have ultimately with the father through the blood of the son and the power of the spirit. And it's all by grace. Are y'all with me? A heavy teaching today, but this is good stuff. So you do have a part in this. You must respond to the grace of God. But there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to work for it, to earn it. All you can do is simply what? Receive what your Trinitarian God has done for you. When I think of grace, here's what I think of. Here's the words that come to mind. I think of God's generous disposition. How many of y'all know he's generous? Oh, he is extremely generous. I think about his generous disposition toward us. He decided to save you, to extend grace to you. You access that relationship by faith. And there's nothing that you did to earn it. If there were, then watch this. You could get up and boast. If you were the one who initiated it all and sustained it all, then you could come here and you wouldn't praise God. You would praise yourself for being so spiritual and knowing exactly what to do to make your God happy. But how many of y'all know that's not who we are? We're lost, we're blind, and we're dumb apart from God's grace. When God's grace comes, He opens our eyes, He gives us a new start, He changes our hearts, and He changes our minds, and inevitably changes the direction of our destiny toward heaven. Never that way, but always toward God in heaven. Come on, y'all, that's amazing. That's His doing. So we don't boast in ourselves, we boast in Him and what He's done in our lives. Are y'all tracking? So grace is unmerited favor. It's God's uh, generosity extended us through Christ. And we are recipients of that forever. Forever. I preached a funeral yesterday and I talked about forever. You know how long forever is? You know how long eternity is? Like try to get your mind around that. Atheists will say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in an afterlife. Are you sure? Because eternity is way too long to be wrong. Are you sure? Listen, throughout all eternity, we will remain recipients of the grace of God. So in heaven, we will never boast in ourselves for eternity. Our boast will be in Jesus, him crucified, risen and reigning. The one who lived for us and bled for us, rose again for us. He is our champion. So I think y'all know that. Did y'all know all that? But we shouldn't stop there. It's unmerited favor. But how do you see grace? 
Barnabas saw grace. I mean, I can look up grace in a lexicon and I'll see a definition, but he saw grace. It wasn't just some abstract thing. He saw it. Well, how did he see it? Well, Paul, Paul says it this way. We're going from Barnabas down to Paul. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So today we have this community that talks about works, it seems, and then there's a community that talks about faith. And it's like, okay, they're kind of fighting all the time. Is it either or? Is it both and faith works? What is it? If you're taking notes, write this down. You are not saved by your good works, but you are saved for good works. You're not saved by anything you do, but you are saved, watch this, for a relationship with Jesus and the work of God will work through you as you remain in him. So grace is not just a merited favor. It's his empowering presence, watch, in our lives that literally produces the works of God through us. But they're not our works, are they? When you show up and you pray, God, move through me. I mean, you're the one doing them, right? But it's not really you. It's God working through you with his grace and by his spirit. Ben, that's powerful. I mean, when you're plugging into heaven, you're plugging into God. The power of heaven is flowing through you. Grace is given to you. Then grace flows through you. But how can you see the grace of God? Well, grace is favor. Grace is power. But look at Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing what? Salvation to all people. Look at this. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now that's another level, y'all. Because normally we think about grace, saved by grace, kept by grace, and grace we think of salvation. And normally people think of heaven Salvation is not just for heaven. Salvation begins now. Eternal life begins now. It extends to heaven forever. But, but, but here now in Titus, we see a different edge here. Let's read it one more time. For the grace of God has appeared uh, and, and it's brought salvation for how many people? All people, all kinds of people, all people around the world can be saved. Look at verse 12. Training us to what? what what's it say? Renounce. What does it say? Renounce, Renounce what? Renounce. And what? And to do what positively? To live what? Self-controlled, upright. Did you got, I've, heard, I've heard Christians say, I just couldn't help it. I couldn't control myself. There, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no greater contradiction than a Christian who says they're out of control. Did you hear that? An out, of, an out of control Christian is a contradiction. Because the Spirit of God lives in us. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all, all self-control. Come on, y'all. As believers, we're no longer controlled by the sinful nature. You say it was my flesh. You're no longer controlled by the sinful nature. You are filled with the Spirit of God, and He is working in you both to will and to work to do God's good pleasure. Did you know you can say no to sin? Did you know that? Did you know as a believer, you must say no to sin? Did you know that? Here it says, the grace of God trains us. How does it train us? Well, this is a whole other message. But watch this. Watch this. We are blood-bought children of the Most High God. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places far above all rule, authority, and power. Above, above all, every name, above all power and authority. We're seated with Him. How many of y'all know we're, we're kings, we're priests, we're sons and daughters of God? Nobody knows that. How many of y'all know that? We are royalty, robed, clothed in his righteousness, sanctified, but being sanctified. Come on, y'all. We are the head and not the tail. We've been delivered. We've been ransomed. We've been redeemed. We've been justified. And one day we will be glorified. Can I say something to y'all? Now live like it. So here's how the grace of God teaches us. The grace of God. Oh, this is so good. It reminds us of the generosity of God. And it reminds us of the absolute bankruptcy of sin. Let me say it again. 
The grace of God reminds us of the generosity of God. And it also reminds us of the absolute bankruptcy of all the things that you do in Antioch. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ. And to leave that position here on earth in that disposition and to go to the mud and the mire and the slop of sin, to go back to the lifestyle that Jesus died to save us from is to trample on the grace of God. So why would you return to that porn? Why would you return to that adultery? Why would you return to that addiction? Why would you return to that lifestyle of anger? Why would you return to that racism? Jesus died not just to forgive you. He gave grace not just to forgive you, but to break you free, to set you free so you can become a new creation and do brand new things. I'm going to send John Bevere my notes. No, he did a good job. But, but listen, it teaches us to say no. Say no. No. I'm not looking at that. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. No. Because God's generosity is so great. His grace teaches me that his generosity is so great. And there's nothing I want but him. And my relationship with him is the most important thing in my life. And there's nothing I'm going to do to give that up. Because I've tasted y'all and I've seen that he's good. And this isn't just a message I put together. It's my life. Do you know how many chances I've had to return to the mud and the mire and the slob? Do you know how many chances I've had? And by the grace of God, I've said no. Did you know you can say no to sin and say yes to God? Oh, man, you're going to mess up. But how many of y'all know when you mess up, what is there there for you? Come on, what is there there for you? There's mercy and there's grace. But y'all, come on. What I'm talking about today, that's grace anatomy. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. Barnabas saw the grace of God and he was glad. He saw it at work in the community. And he was glad. I see the grace of God in your lives. And you know what? It makes your pastor very, very glad. I'm proud of y'all. Y'all okay? Should I keep going or should I close? You know what I'm going to do. I'm going to hear y'all out and I'm going to do exactly what I want to do. Let me speed up here. Look, let me continue on. So Barnabas was encouraged when he got there. He saw the grace of God. He was glad uh, because he saw God at work. But then Luke tells us that Barnabas lived up to the meaning of his name. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't going to show up and not give some type of encouragement. So check it out. Acts eleven twenty three through 24. And he exhorted or encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man. Oh, I love this. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Now let me just say this simply and hopefully powerfully. God had been faithful to them, had extended His grace to them, but then God asked for something in return through Barnabas for the Antiochian Christians to be faithful to the Lord. The Lord, how many of you know the Lord's faithful to us? The question is, are we being faithful to Him? They needed this word of encouragement. Be faithful, Antiochians. Be faithful. And they're going to need this. You're going to need to hear this. Because, again, Antioch, nasty city, Vegas, casinos everywhere, prostitution, cult, worship, all this stuff going on. They needed to be reminded every day that that, that God had started the work in them. They're doing a good work. But they needed to be reminded and encouraged to keep on the course. They need to be reminded there are going to be all kinds of idols All kinds of false gods in Antioch. All kinds of, let me say it this way, lovers who are going to try to woo these Christians to get back in their beds. And I'm not just talking about real prostitutes. I'm talking about the ways of the world. I'm talking about materialism and sexual immorality, the things of the world, all of the isms of the world, all of the nasty things and people of the world are going to be there. And how many of you know when you get saved, it's not like the devil's like, oh, shoot, they're saved. I'm just going to leave them alone. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if it all of a sudden, like, all your desires were perfected? I mean, sometimes it's not the devil, it's just you, it's just me. We're, the, we're making the mess. 
called our lives. But you get saved. Welcome to the battle. You raise your hand. I raise my hand. Praise God, you raise your hand. But welcome to the battle. When you get saved, when you get born again, that's when hell is going to be unleashed against your life. You're going to be tempted. You're going to be tried. And that's why we need to be reminded all the time of God's faithfulness, of His generosity, of His goodness, that, that God is so kind and He's so good, He's so loving. We need to be reminded of His, gener- His generous disposition so we're not fooled into thinking that we will find gold in the world, gold in the mud. No, 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 the only gold is in heaven with Jesus. Our reward is with Him, not in the sin of this world. You're going to think at times, oh, I'm going to go back to Egypt. Maybe oh, I haven't gotten a man yet. I haven't gotten a woman yet. I haven't gotten my God hasn't answered my prayers. At least in Egypt, I had a man. Listen to me. There's nothing for you in Egypt. It was bondage. It was slavery. That bud was not for you. When you were reminded of the generosity and the goodness and the grace of God, there might be a fight, but you're like, I ain't going back to that. Because I've tasted and I've seen that God is good. The gold and the silver are in Him. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about spiritual riches. I'm talking about the peace of God and the goodness of God, the righteousness of God. Everything you need is in Him. So, they need to be encouraged. Keep on keeping on. Keep on serving the Lord. How many of y'all are married? Raise your hand high. Like you're proud. Come on, what's wrong with y'all? Put them down. Raise your hand if you're happily married. Well, fewer hands went up. Let's do that one more time. Happily married? How many of y'all would get mad if you saw your spouse or significant other flirting with somebody else? What's wrong with y'all? Y'all like... I think I need to go back and preach sin again. How many of y'all would, truthfully, if you saw your spouse flirting with somebody, how many of y'all would be upset? Come on, man. (laughs) Not to her, but to, you know, him. Someone would rise up, huh? That's true in us. Let me tell you something. That's also true with God. That's true with God. That's true with God. How many of y'all know God is a jealous God? You know, Oprah Winfrey said years ago, I would never serve a jealous God. And I thought about it. I'm like, well, I wouldn't either if God was really jealous of me. How many of y'all know he's not jealous of you? How many of y'all know everything you have is a gift from God? (laughs) So it's like God going, okay, I gave it all. I gave all these things to them. But I'm jealous. I want that back. You know, that doesn't work. God's the eternal God. He's not jealous of us. What is he? He's jealous. What? For us, and God is like, excuse me, when he sees us going after someone else or someone else coming after us, come on. He cuts in and said, excuse me, this is my bride. How many of y'all know? We need to be reminded all the time of this responsibility that we have to be faithful to the Lord. And how many of y'all know? That, that God uses a lot of ways to do this in our lives. But one of the ways that He keeps us faithful, it's by His grace, through His Spirit, but it's also through people. My old pastor, Rice Brooks, used to say that for every step that you take away from, from the Lord, there will be someone there telling you that you're doing the right thing. Every step away from the Lord, everyone you take back, there's going to be some, somebody there going, man, I know, you don't need to go to church every Sunday. And you do. Oh, no, but no, no, no. that's just kind of the way it is around here. I mean, you just go, you kind of get in, then come back in a couple of weeks, kind of show your face. Some, some people are going to say, that's okay. You can forsake the assembly of the Lord. There are going to be people who tell you that. You will find company. Oh, yeah, man, that's what we do. Like, we go out like once every five weeks or so. You step back a little bit. Oh, you know, you're serving on the dream team, and there is a time to step back from serving on the dream team. There's a time you need to rest, so hear me. But I'm, you know, I'm just going to take a step back. I'm going to distance myself a little bit. I mean, too on fire over them. It's just, too, just a touch much. You take a step back from those relationships, the people who, who help get you by the grace of God to where you are, those people now become the enemy because you find some other friends and they're telling you, oh, yeah, it's, too, it's too much. You gave how much money? You don't need to do that. For every step you take away from the Lord, there will be someone there telling you you're doing the right thing. 
How many of y'all know we need some Barnabases in our lives to remind us of our great responsibility to be faithful to the Lord? The news is not going to encourage you to be faithful to Jesus. Hollywood is not going to produce, I don't think there are any from Hollywood, maybe one out of a million films that are going to inspire, you're going to watch and be like, I'm going to die to my flesh, I'm going to love my wife, and I'm going to be faithful to her, and I'm going to give my money, and I'm, I'm going to live holy and pure in this present age and say no to ungodliness. Is there a Hollywood film like that? Maybe, I don't know. But that's not the norm. You're not going to get that type of encouragement from the world. That's why you need Barnabases in your life who will remind you of the goodness of God and the grace of God who will cheer you on and say, keep running the race. Don't turn back. There's nothing for you in Egypt. There's nothing there. Keep running toward Jesus. It, 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 uh, weddings that I perform, I make a charge to the, va- uh, to, the, uh, to, to, the to the bride, to the groom. I, I charge both to love one another, to be faithful to one another. And then you know what I do at the very end? Everybody thinks they're there just to kind of spectate and look at the, the bride, how beautiful she is, and cheer them on. I say, listen, for all of those of you who are gathered here today, I now charge you to do everything in your power to see what God has put together, let no man separate. And I don't let them out the door without placing a responsibility upon them that if they see trouble in the marriage, it's their duty and hopefully their delight to step in and say, hey, I see this coming. How can I help you? How can I encourage you? Come on, married couples. You need people with you in the trenches as you walk through the trials of this life, as you're battling the flesh. You need people in your life to encourage you. Men, you need men who will encourage you to say no to sexual immorality. You need men in your life, watch, not just calling you out. We all need that. But in this hour, even more, we need men calling us up. Reminding us that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're the righteousness of God. We're the head. And so live like it. How many of you know men? We need men like that in our lives. Ladies, you need women in your lives like that. Oh, this feels good. We need this. There have been so many times in my ministry when I've wanted to give up. Did he just say that? Let me say it again. There have been so many times in the last 17 years when I've just wanted to quit. You ever want to quit? Somebody say yes, because I feel real naked and alone up here. Back in Dallas, Texas, we were sent to help plant a church there with some NFL players back in 2010. And you know what the NFL stands for, don't you? Not for long. And uh, we had a little group, started a study. I won't mention any names. I'm not here to drop names or to impress you. I'm here to actually to get some sympathy from you. <laughs> we started this, I'm teasing. We started this study, and uh, it, we had athletes in it. Um, and it was fine. It was good, whatever, for a while. But these, these players, they started going, you know, played for other teams, got hurt. I mean, it's like one by one, they're dropping like flies. We didn't know anybody else in the city except these guys and their wives. My wife and I were, were like, okay, what do we do? For two and a half years, we plowed in that city. And there were some Sundays I was so discouraged because, you know, the players didn't show up or something didn't go right, whatever. And I remember my overseer called me one Sunday. I was so discouraged. And he said, he always said, his name is Pastor Troy Johnson, one of my heroes. He said, he said, hey, buddy, how'd it go today? I said, Pastor Troy, let me say this. I'm praying about coming back next Sunday. I'm not saying I'm going to. I'm praying about coming back and doing this one more Sunday. And I remember I was on the verge of leaving the ministry altogether. We had, another finance, we had another opportunity to make some money. Not that much, but enough to make a good, a good living. For a minute, a split second, I was tempted to leave. How many of y'all know people are difficult? <laughs> because where there are people, there is poop. It's true. Spiritual and emotional. Yes, I said that in church. Poop. Anyway, there have been moments over the years when I've just wanted to quit. And I'll tell you what's kept me going. God 
and the people of God who have sent me text messages in the midnight hour to dispel and to break up the lie that I was believing in my mind. Listen to me. One encouraging text message can change somebody's life. Over the years, I'm, 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 I almost don't want to share this because I'm, I'm not looking for you to do this, but hear my heart. Over the years, I've gotten, is Camille here? Camille Boudreaux? I'm sorry, to, I don't want to embarrass you. Camille would send me these encouraging text messages and just about the sermon or about what happened at Midtown. I would get uh, from Charles and from others. I, I have gotten text messages over the years, back when I was in Broussard. And when I, when I get them, when I get the, uh, the, the Facebook messages or text messages, I take screenshots. And you know what I do? Jimmy, you've sent, you've sent some to me. And you think, Pastor Scott, I mean, he's up bringing the word. He's got a Ph.D. in New Testament. He doesn't. I need to be encouraged. And there have been times in my dark hour when I'm ready to throw in the towel. You know what I've done? I've gone into my phone, into my thread, into my my photo gallery, and I've pulled up words from you guys that have brought me encouragement in my darkest hour that have kept me going. So you need me, but my God, I need you. How many of y'all know we need one another? We're called, listen, we we all need a Barnabas, but we all must strive to become a Barnabas. Are y'all with me? One text message can change someone's life. In conclusion, Barnabas did everything he could. Watch this. We're going to end with this. There's much more I could share with you today, but you just can't bear it. (laughs) Barnabas did everything he could for the church at Antioch, but it grew so much that he needed help. So what did he do? Well, let's read Acts eleven twenty five through 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul's coming back on the scene now. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, I want you to think about this as we begin to close here. The church at Antioch got Barnabas. And they got Saul, Pastor Barnabas and Pastor Saul, for a year. Teaching and preaching the Word of God. Come on, that's a, that's a dynamic duo, isn't it? Amen. Pastor Paul, Pastor Saul's here. He's going to preach today. Barnabas was there encouraging them. How many of y'all know that this church, because the grace of God and because these men of God was, was built up and strong? And how many of y'all know that's, that's God's will for this church? He doesn't want you to leave discouraged today. No matter what you're going through, God wants you to leave today encouraged. And I hope today that the preaching and the Word, you're built up. Even as I talk about sin and I go after that that darkness in your life by the gospel, I pray that you're encouraged. Because if I just talk about the bad news and I don't talk about the good news, I have not preached the gospel. I mean, y'all know there's a lot of bad news even in your life. But the good news of the gospel is that though this is going on in your life, though you blew it again, you can stand back up by the grace of God and move forward. The church was built up and they were so built up that, well, they returned the favor to the church in Jerusalem. Listen to this. We're going to end with this. Acts 11, 27 through 30. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. Parenthetically, this took place in the days of Claudius. Verse 29. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send what? Relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Do you see what's going on? If you don't, let me make it clear. Let me make it plain. Agabus predicted a great famine in the world. He predicted by the Spirit that there were going to be hard times ahead. Can I, can I prophesy? This is just a general prophecy. There are going to be some hard times ahead. That's very profound, Pastor Scott. There will be some hard times ahead. He got up, spoke by the Spirit, warned them of the famine coming on the land. And and, and I love what took place after that. This was not very good news. But the Gentile Christians 
in Antioch were so built up and so encouraged that they sent relief to their Jewish brothers in Jerusalem and became a source of great encouragement. Let me say it this way. You remember about an hour ago, (laughs) I talked about the church sending, the church in Jerusalem sending Barnabas to Antioch. You remember that? Now the church in Antioch is sending Barnabas and Saul back to Judea, back to Jerusalem, because a famine was on the way. Here's the principle. It's found in Proverbs 11:25. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. You see how that works? There's a principle at work. If you will give your life to refreshing others, to encouraging others, I don't know how this works out, but somehow, some way, it always comes back to you. So if you will stop worrying about being encouraged and offer encouragement, if you will give relief and send relief, if you will be a blessing to others, it will come back to you. And watch this. It's not just for you. It's so that you will get encouraged, so you will get built up, so you will be blessed, so that you can keep on doing the same thing for other people. Oh, in this hour, y'all, encouragement, it is your superpower. It is the superpower of the Holy Spirit. And I, as your pastor today, I am encouraging you to use it everywhere you go, on the street, at school, at work, today, if you know someone who needs encouragement, be like Barnabas. Send them a text message. Send them an encouraging word. If you look around, y'all, you'll see brokenness all over the place. Pray, God, show me, send me to someone who needs encouragement. Because you see, it's not just about needing a Barnabas. It's about becoming a Barnabas. Isn't that God's will for all of us? Yeah. Lord, we thank you today for the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we have a thousand reasons to be discouraged today. We have a thousand reasons to be down. We have a thousand or more reasons to be depressed. But Lord, I am so encouraged today because Lord, like Barnabas, I see the grace of God in this place. And Lord, if your grace is here, that means your unmerited favor is here. That means your empowering presence is here. And Lord, we know that it's going to be okay because Lord, you are with us and you are for us. And so, Lord, right now, I pray for my friends here at the 9 a.m. service. Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged today. I pray that they would be built up today. Lord, I pray that, Lord, even if they can't see their way out of the situation that they're in, Lord, I pray for your amazing grace to be with them in their marriages. If you're married right now, I want you just to raise your hand. You and your spouse, raise your hand. Lord, I pray for encouragement over couples. Couples who feel, they feel like they're about to throw in the towel. Maybe not get a divorce, but maybe just give up on an area of their marriage, give up on one another in some areas. Lord, I pray for fresh courage, fresh faith, fresh hope. Lord, I pray that by the grace of God, you would change us, Lord. Lord, I pray for husbands and wives. Lord, I pray for unity. I pray for closeness. God, I pray just for a fresh touch of God over their lives. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Scott, I need encouragement in my business. I need encouragement in my calling. I I just need to be encouraged. I want you to slip your hand up right now. Just go like this. Both hands, just go like this to me. No one's looking. Just wave your hands right now. As a matter of fact, if you need encouragement today, I want you just to stand to your feet right now. Stand up right now. Lord, right now, you see everyone here, Lord, who they're down for whatever reasons, Lord, they're having a difficult time. Holy Spirit, would you minister to them right now? Come on, lift your hands. If you're standing, also lift your hands. Holy Spirit, God, right now, let this be a God moment for for each of them. You're looking at situations. You've heard the bad report. Agabus has given you the bad report. But Holy Spirit, right now, bring the good report. Bring relief to my friends here today. Lord, they need you. Some are battling sin. Some are here. It's a sinful pattern in your life. You've tried to break it and you keep on failing. It's an attitude. It's an action. Some of you moms, you feel like absolute failures and you feel like you just want to give up. But Holy Spirit, right now, would you please encourage them by your Spirit? Extend amazing grace. 
Extend the grace they need, Father. The grace that started this thing, may that same grace finish this thing in their lives. So Holy Spirit, we just wait on you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your love. Come on, just wait on the Lord just for another minute. Right now the Holy Spirit is changing some perspectives. Perspective is not just what you see, it's the way you see it. You're going to leave today seeing things a little bit differently because you know the grace of God is with you. God, we love you. We praise you. We know you're not done with us. In John 13, 1, the Bible says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Thank you, God. Thank you for loving us through our mess. Thank you for loving us through all the letdowns and setbacks. We love you. Thank you for your goodness to us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the all-abiding Holy Spirit. And all God's people said,